In improvisational theater, there is an adage that says, make your partner look good. In leadership and business relationships, this means you can make personal interactions a win-win situation for both you and your colleagues. Welcome to Partner Up with Amy Carroll, speaking with guests and listeners like you. Amy uses her wisdom and wit, leading you along the road to success. Now, here is your host, Amy Carroll. Welcome, everyone, to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. As a communication coach, trainer, speaker, and author, I'm delighted to be your host and excited to bring you insights and ideas to help you solve your communication conundrums. This is the 11th episode of my show, Partner Up with Amy Carroll. If you want to find out more about me or what the show is about, feel free to listen to previous episodes on my website, carolcoaching.com, or Voice America on the Business Channel. Be sure to download the app. If you missed last week's show, I interviewed Natasha Konstantinova, who is a crisis communications consultant. Natasha shared multiple examples of professional and personal moments of crisis where she learned what she learned along the way, and she gave us sage advice to listeners for successfully managing through crisis while staying partner. Be sure to check it out. Today's guest is Christy McAvoy. Welcome, Christy. Thank you very much. Good to have you on. Well, Christy, for the listeners, let's give a little backstory. You and I met, I think it was about going on three years now. It was a theater show, right? Yeah. Animal Farm. That's Animal what it was. Farm, a high school production of Animal A very good one. A very good one. Yeah, really good. Um, and uh, do you want to tell the story? Do you want me to tell the story? Yeah, go for it. It'll be different. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Exactly. It will be different. Let's hear your version. <laughs> Uh, my version is we went to see this um, uh, play and it finished quite late at night, I think maybe a Sunday night or something like that. And we were on this train station and it was a quiet train station. So we knew that everyone on the station had seen the show and my wife and I were on the station and we kind of saw you and, and caught eyes and, you know, s- smiled, said hello and then said, oh, you know, what did you think of the show? And we just got chatting and and. Through that chatting, I learned that you're part of an improv group. It was something I really wanted to get involved with. And the friendship kind of just went from there. And the backstory, what you might not know or remember, was that your wife and I met in the women's bathroom. She overheard <laughs> me talking to my girlfriend about improv. She said, oh, my husband would love that. And she scoped it out. So then when I heard you guys on the platform and I heard, you know, she had said you were Irish. I heard your accent. I was like, that's the guy. <laughs> so I was just like politely waiting till you guys noticed me on the platform. So it was like a totally constructed Truman yeah. Show-esque style yeah. reality happening behind yeah. my back. Okay. It was a setup. <laughs> so, and I was just believing in serendipity and, and things exactly. working out. <laughs> and then at some point you attended a workshop I gave on power and status. I did. And, and I was really blown away. I mean, I, um, you know, we'll get into my story a little bit, but I'm a teacher and um, it rang true so much in terms of what I saw in my, my personal life, but also my professional life. And I love using this, some of the stuff I learned from that with, with my students. And there was one, there's an exercise that I do a lot. And it's around the law of reciprocity. And let me back up a little bit for listeners to give them a tiny bit of backstory on this model that refers to law of reciprocity. So uh, there's three archetypes. There's the predator, there's the prey, there's a partner. This is a model that my sister, Pat Kirkland, developed. And you should check out her website, patkirklandleadership.com. 
because it's a, a lovely um, resource of information. And she, the thing is, most of us are behaving as partners most of the time. Right now, you and I, we've been recently fed and watered all as well. And we're able to show high respect for self, high respect for the other. That's what partner is. The problem is under pressure, stress, perceived threat, crisis, or if we're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we can flip-flop either into predator or prey. The predator shows too much respect for themselves, not enough for others. The prey shows too much respect for the other, not enough for themselves. So the predator will leave bodies in their path and the prey will often get mistreated. Um, so what I invite people to do talking about power and status, and it's all very much related to improv is to see, show people how to stay partner under pressure. Okay. So that's the, the, the shorthand explanation of the model. Now you tell me that you did this one exercise around the law of reciprocity and how to use that with kids. Yeah. So I find that, um, some of the, because you use a lot of improv in your training, and I love that because I think it gives a chance for you to step into those roles and feel them instead of just talk about them. And that's something that's so important with kids um, that they have to try stuff out and they have to play with it and feel it. So you have this great game where you just basically explain that you, you're there with your, with your partner, the person you're playing with, and you have your fist closed, and they have to get you to open your fist um without touching tickling or was there intimidating (laughs) intimidating there you go um and so usually try it and and you know the first time they're keeping it closed because they want to win and then you switch it and the other person usually keeps it closed too and and you you do this a few times and eventually they kind of get the point usually you have some kids who eventually go do you know what i like you and i want you to win so here you go and then you switch it back and they go, well, you let me win. So I'm going to let you win. And suddenly this beautiful example of a win-win situation, because I think so much um, first for kids, but also just for adults too, we come into certain situations thinking there has to be a winner and a loser. And it's a yes. beautiful way for kids to understand that there's win-win um, situations and, and scenarios that they can play out. Yeah. And so when I talk, do that exercise and it's like a half hour exercise with a debrief and there's lots of nuances to it. And people often discover how eagerly, 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 that's an interesting word, somewhere between an an eager, an eager, 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 (laughs) (laughs) how easily, that's the word I really want, their ego gets triggered. Yeah. And so when I reveal what the real learning is for the exercise, we talk about the law of reciprocity. What you give is what you get for better or for worse. I then explain how we behave impacts how others respond to us for better or for worse. And believe it or not, even though it may not feel like it, we do have a choice in how we behave. So when we change how we behave, we can change the response we get. So that's something for uh, listeners to chew on. Now, Christy, I want to give some background to the listeners about you. Uh, and this is, Christy tells himself the story. And, and listeners, I want you to remember this point for later on. He tells himself the story that he's an open-minded and compassionate person. Now, he grew up in Ireland, studied in Scotland, and has been living in Switzerland for the past 10 years, working as an elementary school teacher. Christy believes that people learn best through their passions, which is what motivated him to start an innovation and open source learning club. 
this is where students can start their own businesses based on their interests, their skills, and their talents, which I have to say is so cool. Have kids taken advantage of this? Yeah, so over the last couple of years, I mean, it, it hasn't developed as much as I'd like it to, but I have had examples of um, kids working on projects within the school. So, so there was one uh, girl who started her own interior design blog. <laughs> um, there was another uh, kid who, uh, he's an Ar- Arsenal football fan, and he realized there was nothing pitched at kids his level. So he started his own blog um, for, for other sort of, 10 11 year olds who are really into football um and have had you know kids start cookie businesses and one of them even went on to make uh, a sort of sort of vegan cruelty free makeup kind of stuff uh, creams and, and all this kind of stuff and like with a bit of parent support and a bit of um sort of investment at the beginning that, you know, kids are capable of, of amazing things. So, Wow, that's very, very cool. Now, something else for the listeners to know, Christy was smart enough to marry a brilliant American microbiologist, Shauna, also known as Shauna the Card Shark. <laughs> she likes to play card games. She likes to play board games. And one of their favorite pastimes other than that is bargains, hunting for bargains in thrift shops. I, I've been, that has been my passion since I was 15, I think. Mm. So much fun. And then I've just moved up to Zurich from Lausanne and it's a, there's a huge culture of it here. So it's super exciting for us. More so than Lausanne. Massively. They're all over the place here. It's amazing. Oh, okay. All right. When I come and visit, I, yeah. I would love to, you gotta come that up. to be an activity. <laughs> <laughs> Christy is a keen improviser, guitarist, cook, forest school enthusiast, and amateur psychologist. I'm delighted that Christy will be sharing his insights from years in and out of the classroom to help listeners better negotiate life's many ups and downs. So, Christy, let's get started. If I'm correct, you have a three-step life philosophy that has served you well, which you're going to share with listeners, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. All it's right. um, working for me quite well. And uh, Break it down. <laughs> the three steps are, number one, your life is based on a true story. Number two, choose a story that works for you. And number three, close the gap. All right. So let's, let's start with the first one. Your life is based on a true story. What do you mean by that? Um, so if you ever watch those movies, you know, you're getting into it and it starts off the beginning based on a true story. And you know when you're watching these that most of the events kind of happen the way they happened. Most of the characters are real characters, but there's definitely going to be some maybe new characters, definitely some dialogue, some events shifted slightly. Okay. So basically, our own memories are like this. We are trying to make a story of our history. And so as much as we want to believe that everything we believe is 100% accurate, the evidence just isn't there for that. And I'll give you an example of that if you want. Yes, yes. There's an amazing study that was done in the US um, on 9-11. And on the day, they had people write down what they were doing and what they were experiencing that day. Okay. And then one year later, they had them write it down again. They weren't allowed to see what they wrote the first time. They wrote down what they remembered from that day. And then 10 years on the anniversary, they wrote down again what they thought they were doing that day. Yeah. And then they revealed to them their previous statements. And 
Of course, there were some similarities, but definitely some differences. And some differences to the point of like literally where they were or who they were with were different. Wow. But the thing that really blows my mind is when the people were exposed to their three statements, they didn't say, oh my gosh, I totally misremembered it. They looked at the one they wrote on the day and said, that's not right. So they committed more to their 10-year-later memory because that was the one they'd made, that was the one they solidified, and that was the one that worked for them more than their one-day memory. Holy smokes. So this is the acceptance that not everything you believe is 100% exactly the way it happened, I actually feel is quite freeing and can Mm -hmm. be quite freeing for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. It can certainly make you more open-minded to the idea that you could be a different person in the future because you realize you have been a different person in the past. True. And I think it also, when I think about people having arguments and disagreements, it certainly um, would help me to be less adamant in discussions and debates of, no, it was absolutely that way. You know, I'd be a little more willing to say, well, maybe it's one of those things where I remembered it a certain way. And even though I'm really convinced, you know, this other person seems really convinced that it's something different. So it just would help me to be a little less rigid in that sense. I think so. And I think in my experience as an elementary school teacher, I have been in so many situations where I have two children, both in tears, telling me, and I 100% believe that they 100% believe that they are telling the truth and their stories are totally different. (laughs) And there is no, I mean, unless I'm teaching little DiCaprios, they are not that good at acting. They (laughs) genuinely have convinced themselves this is the story. And it's so hard to tell the difference because they are totally committed to their memory of the story. Mm-hmm. And one other thing it helps me to do is give be a little more generous towards other people when they're remembering it differently, that it's not that they're intending to lie to me, that it may just be literally that the memory they're holding is has been altered. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And, and, and just the knowledge that your one doesn't necessarily have to be the 100% accurate right, one too. Right, right. Um, so I think there are many reasons that we don't have time to go into that our brains do this. Mm. Um, If you've ever gone, I'm quite a keen uh, cyclist. And if you've ever gone on a long cycle or some kind of physically exerting uh, exercise, you often struggle and find it difficult during it. And then you finish it and suddenly you go, oh, that was so great. I love that. I'll definitely do that (laughs) again. Definitely. I I do this for nine times now in the last... uh, 20 years, I think I've been doing these cross-country ski races, 42 kilometers. And every time I'm, I'm in there, you know, halfway through, then what was I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> and then the sign-up sheet comes along and you're yeah. like, yeah, come on. I love this <laughs> Let's stuff. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> so I think understanding that uh, it's okay to accept that your life is based on a true story is a super important first step to this okay. three-step um, philosophy. So that's now, so we're, are we ready to move to step two? I think so. Because I think as long as, I mean, honestly, please always challenge me on everything I say. As you said earlier, I'm an armchair psychologist, so I'm going to have to <laughs> dig deeper into some of this stuff. I love being challenged because either I have a great answer. And <laughs> Can't wait just, to share it. <laughs> and it. Yeah. And it just solidifies my belief stronger or it's not right. 
and then I have to change my story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so far I'm, I'm with you. So step two is choosing a story that works for you. Is that what you said? Yeah, so okay. if you can accept the fact that your life is based on a true story, that means you've got some wiggle room to create a story that works for you. Now, I tell myself the story that I'm what you might call an early adopter. So mm-hmm. whenever I hear about new ways of living or new things I can do, my instinct is to, instead of a lot of people might push back and say, no, but I'm not that kind of person. Right. Instead, I say, I could be that kind of person. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to adopt it, live it for, could be a week, could be two weeks, a month, even longer sometimes, and just see if it works for me. And if it works for me, I keep doing it. And if it doesn't, I sort of tune it back a bit. Like, for example, I watched a, there's a documentary called That Sugar Film. And yeah. uh, he starts eating. He never really eats sugar. And he starts eating uh, some products with sugar in them. And after watching this, I was like, all right, I'm going to cut out sugar and see what happens. And for about three months, I, I didn't eat any sugar and it really opened my eyes actually I was in shopping and I was like looking at jars of pesto and stuff and I was like why is there sugar in pesto this is bonkers there's sugar in bread there's sugar in everything right and after about three months I was like okay that was really interesting I like most of it but I'm gonna dial it back so Mm. probably I cut out about 70% of what I used to before but Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean you have to be completely dogmatic and keep it forever it's just does this work for me? Why not try it out and see how it fits? And what I like about the question, does this work for me, is you waited. You didn't ask yourself that on day two. <laughs> you know, nope. you gave yourself time because we as human beings generally need time to acclimate and to ch- adjust and be comfortable with the new change. So once you got to that point where, you know, what you said, three months, you were then saying, you know, how does this work for me? And then found that there was parts of it you still wanted to keep. Yeah, absolutely. It's very difficult to change yourself, but it's quite easy to change your habits Mm. in the short term anyway. Yeah. Um, So then having that ability to say, all right, well, this part works for me. I couldn't certainly do this every day. This part's not sustainable, but I've given it a go in terms of to see what works for me in the short term anyway. Yeah. So I want to tell you something about me and I would love for you to help me identify the story that I'm telling myself. Okay. Okay. All right. So a couple years ago, I read this book uh, called a short history of nearly everything. Oh yeah. Bill Bryson. Brilliant book. Yeah. I was really, the reason I I didn't tell tell you anyone this, the reason I read it was because um, something for listeners to know is Christy and I have been in in an improv troupe full of scientists. We're the only non-scientists. <laughs> they, they call us science en- enthusiasts. Enthusiasts, yeah. Enthusiasts, yes. And so um, I felt like such a fraud because they'd be talking about all these sciencey things. I'm like, huh? So that was my motivation to read that book. So one of the things I had come across in the book was uh, he talks about, uh, in history, scientists would test their theories on themselves, mm-hmm. sometimes to their own detriment. I remember re- reading something about a father and son scientific duo who they, they were creating some kind of medicine and they would take the medicine themselves until they would pass out. <laughs> it's good, clean family fun. <laughs> and apparently they did this more than once. So I remember 
Um, there is something about that commitment, though, of that example, because I realize that in my own scientific way, I have a theory mm-hmm. that I carry around in the world, which is partner can work in just about any situation. Okay. And the action I take is to test out this theory. And the way I test it out is whenever I'm in a situation, it could be with people I know, it could be with complete strangers. Sometimes with complete strangers, it's even more dynamic. Uh, and maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm on a bus and I see someone being aggressive or dominant or predator-like. Or you know, one time I saw uh, a gang of men um, being ver- physically aggressive to some guy who was just walking past them. And so I willingly put myself into these rather tricky situations <laughs> to test this theory. Will partner work in this situation? Can I avoid going, usually my modus operandus would be to go predator. Can I resist going predator? Can I help um, eliminate the conflict that's happening? Now, as a result, there have been situations that have blown up in my face. This is true. (laughs) Yet, it doesn't stop me from continuing to test out this theory. So, these ones that blow up in your face, mm. I'm really interested because do you now look back on those and think you should have or could have done it differently? Because if, if your story is that partner can always work, now you have a piece of evidence that it didn't work. Right. How do you handle that? Well, luckily, my theory is not that it's not always. I, it's okay. just about. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> but that's where that, you know, I give that little, you know, three to five percent leeway. Yeah. And when those things, the, when they blow up my face, I will analyze it over and over and over again to think, is there anything I could have done differently that may have affected the outcome? And right. sometimes it takes me a couple of days. Sometimes it takes me a couple of weeks. And I'm like, oh, no, yeah, I was a little sarcastic when I or I, you know, gave that that um, little flippant comment or, you know, so often I can uncover something that contributed to the blowing up in the face action. Right. Right. And, and there's always certain elements that are out of your control as well. Right. I mean, the, the history of where that person has been that day or what's been going on, any sort of substances they may have taken. There are some <laughs> things that you can't control. True. Um, but I, I definitely think that, you are absolutely hitting on what I am talking about in terms of you have your story of the predator-prey partner and Mm -hmm. it's something that really drives you and you've seen so much success in yourself and other people through that. So for you, it's important to you that you're able to, to stand by that. And so it makes sense that you would want to test it to make sure that it's robust enough mm. to stand up for that. Mm-hmm. Okay, that so, makes sense. Yeah. So, so, so ultimately, and, and ultimately, the whole point of this idea of people being, um, life being based on a true story is the fact that we are storytellers. Yes. So if you've ever had the opportunity to read Sapiens by Noah Yuval Harari, it's a wonderful book. And he talks a lot about the stories that we've created that really govern our lives. So everything from money, Mm. the fact that money is one of the greatest stories we have, is um, something that ties us together, that it has inherent value, that that 
I know if I take money from someone else and offer it to you for something, we can exchange goods and services. That only works if we all believe it and we all buy into it. Um, things such as borders as well between countries, something that we as human beings have created. Have you ever flown over countries? There's no lines there. <laughs> True. Uh, <laughs> the colors don't change. Um, so, so these incredibly powerful stories are mm. what, what drives us as human beings. So then the question is, if you get to create a story about who you are, why not choose a story that works for you? So if you would think about a, a sort of a predatorial boss, I'm sure you deal with a lot of people who have predatorial bosses yeah, um, sure. or business leaders. And the thing that's hard to believe is that those people believe they're the good guys. Like they're waking up every day thinking that they're in the right, that they're doing the right thing. So that right there tells you that our brains are capable of incredible <laughs> mental gymnastics, right? That you can yes. create, you can get up all day, bark and shout at your employees and go to bed with a smile on your face being like another great day for the good guy. <laughs> so this is possible. We, we, we have these amazingly strong abilities to make stories and stories about ourselves, especially ourselves being the heroes of our stories. Yes. Um, but of course, there are the positives, but there are also the negatives. So I would ask you, Amy, for example, do you consider yourself to be a morning person? No, oh, absolutely not. Right. So if you can add right now at the end of that sentence, I'm asking not right now. Um, that gives you at least the opportunity to <laughs> Nor change. tomorrow morning. <laughs> no, maybe not tomorrow morning either. The opportunity to change that story because mm. does the story of you not being a morning person work for you? And it might do. So you have to ask yourself then, are your negative stories working for you as well? Uh-huh. So if I had this current story that I was um, not a morning person and I wanted to be a morning person, I would then need to, as you say, close that gap. Um, Absolutely. Okay. All right. So listen, we're going to um, take a break. And when we come back, I'd like to dive into this a little bit more specifically what you're talking about that. And then um, also, Christy, I'd love for you to um, talk more about the recurring negative thoughts and how uh, people can challenge those. Absolutely. You are listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Be back shortly. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you have colleagues, family members, or neighbors that just drive you crazy sometimes? Do you occasionally find yourself feeling disrespected, mistreated, or annoyed by others? As a no-nonsense communication coach, trainer, speaker, and author, Amy Carroll may have a solution for you. For over 35 years, Amy has studied status and power dynamics, what sabotages relationships, results, and how to get desired outcomes in business and personal interactions. Make Your Partner Look Good is a philosophy from improvisational theater, as well as Amy's favorite mantra. For the last 20 years, she's been using her superhero powers to inspire individuals and multinationals around the globe to transform their communication and tap into their own partner powers. 
With concrete behavior changes in voice, body language, words, and attitude, Amy shows clients what to keep and what to change to get more out of what you want more often with less hassle. Visit carolcoaching.com today. That's C-A-R-R-O-L-L coaching.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. We want participation from you. Send an email with questions or comments or to share your own interpersonal communication dilemmas to amy at carolcoaching.com. That's amy at carolcoaching.com. Now, back to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Here again is Amy. Welcome back to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. I'm talking today with Christine McAvoy, a self-professed armchair psychologist. Before the break, we were talking about how to make stories work for you. Now, Christy, before we go into this part about how to challenge recurring negative thoughts, I want to challenge you on something because I'm worried that when you're talking about these predator bosses, you're saying everybody likes to be the hero of their story and they think they're the good guy or the good woman. Um, When I hear that, I think what worries me is that I'm wondering, are you saying it's okay not to actually be a good person? You only need to think you're a good person. (laughs) Right. I'm so glad you mentioned this because this is a beautiful segue into the third of the three uh, steps of this psychology or this philosophy that I have. So your life is based on a true story is the first. If you can take that, then choose a story that works for you is number two. But of course, what we don't want is a bunch of sociopaths walking around whistling while they're treating everybody horribly and ruining the world. So that's why we have the number three, closing the gap. So what I would say is that I'd say a lot of the work you do in terms of the predator-prey partner is work on closing that gap. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I see. Like, so, so well, first there needs to be awareness in the person that how they're showing up and how they think they're showing up are two different things. Right. And one of the things when I work with people is that that's what I check out at first, you know, right from the start, even before we start coaching, is that person ready, willing, and able to be coached? Absolutely. Hmm. Absolutely. So when I say close the gap, the gap I'm talking about is the gap between your story that you've chosen to make about yourself and reality. Mm-hmm. And so you can tell yourself you're a really nice and good person. But if you go around using you know, predatorial instincts all day long, shouting and barking at people, making other people cry, the gap between where you have that story and the reality all around you all day long is quite large. And the larger that gap, the more tension inside you, because we are storytellers. And if the story doesn't work, that creates tension for us. Right. That cognitive dissonance that is happening in the brain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We can't tell ourselves, I'm this kind of person, and then do the opposite repeatedly without there being some tension in our minds. Okay. So basically, there are ways to, to, to be dealing with this. So we want to close this gap as much as possible. I'll give you an example. So one of the 
early adopter things I decided to take on was trying out veganism. And I wanted to do it because I was take care of the environment. I heard that there was a lot of reasons why um, animal agriculture was dangerous for the environment. So I thought I would try it out. Now, I do this now, and I'm, for me, that's closed a bit of the gap. But I still, you know, fly in planes. <laughs> Not right now, I don't. But <laughs> normally, <laughs> normally, I still fly in planes. I will rent cars from time to time. I'll go on and trains. A lot of the electricity I use is still, um, you know, fueled by fossil fuels. So I'm by no means a perfect human being, and I haven't closed the gap. I can't say I live my life with no negative impact on the environment. All I'm doing is just slowly chipping away at the gap. I have this story that I care about the environment, so I need to do as much as I can within reason and within convenience in modern life to try and close that gap as much as I can. So I think with you and in in, in when you're training with the sort of predator bosses and such, they have a lot of reasons they want to be seen as an effective and, and, and dynamic and innovative leader, successful leader. So they need results for that, right? Right. And, and you've shown pretty well that partner is the best way to get results. Mm-hmm. So if they want that to work, partner is the best way for them to close the gap. They get the results they want and they actually get to act in a way that makes them feel like the good guy. Yeah, and it's it's fascinating to see that awareness come over them because a lot of people, when I work with them at first, they think the only two options are either predator or prey. They don't realize there's this sweet spot in between. Right. And when they realize, oh, there's this thing called partner, meaning you mean I can get the results and still keep the relationship? So the people who were so convinced that it wouldn't be possible to be anything other than they were, you know, you can see, you kind of like almost hear angels singing and oh my gosh, this is, you know, what an exciting possibility. And what's cool is that sometimes they can go above and beyond what they thought was possible because they actually increase loyalty because of the way people feel towards them and the way they're being treated. Absolutely. I, I totally agree. I think that we're seeing, there's so many, uh, you know, resources and books out there now in trying to make better, more effective leaders. And so much of that research is showing that if you have, um, you know, loyal and happy workers, they just are more productive. They want to work for you. You find ways to make work life where they are comfortable, where they're engaged, where they feel empowered. So there's definitely a better way to do things. Yeah. So closing the gap is hugely important there. Okay, so now is this where we talk about this uh, recurring negative thought challenge? Is that a way to actually close the gap or is that different? So the recurring negative thought challenge is, is a really interesting idea. I think that it's not necessarily pitched exactly in closing the gap. I think it actually permeates everything. And the reason why that is, is because I think that it is the most common thing that we all as human beings share, and that is some level of self-doubt. I'm sure you've heard um, recently more and more writing about imposter syndrome, 
yeah. people feeling like they shouldn't, they don't belo- belong or don't deserve to be in, in the relationships they are, in the jobs they are, Apparently, like that. that's one of the top five fears of leaders uh, uh, and maybe even CEOs. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. it's almost like leading through fear makes you a terrible leader. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. So I came across this um, challenging, recurring negative thoughts on a Tony Robbins podcast. And as soon as, I mean, I'm an early adopter. As soon as I heard it, I was like, I've got to try this out. I've got to see if this works for me. And I have to say it really, really has helped me. So I'll give you an example. He, he uses the example of I'm not enough or I'm not good enough. And I think that's probably the most common thought across Absolutely. human beings, right? Yeah. You yeah. input your thing that you're not good enough yeah. at or a yeah. good enough person. Yeah. But that is one of the most common things that, that we feel, I think. Yes. So for me, um, I took one of my most recurring negative thoughts, which is I'm not a good enough teacher. Huh. So there's sort of six steps to this. Before we go in, how long have you had this thought? Or when, do you remember from, from the first lesson? Because my first lesson was terrible, so I was not a good teacher. So from the very beginning, you're 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 watching people. You know, from your teacher training, you're watching people who are very good, and you're like, "Well, I'm not there." Um, but the nice thing about that is um, something that Ira Glass talks about, which is having good taste. I love this. Oh, I love <laughs> it. Can I go off on a tangent for yes, a second? Yes, yes. Because I love this. He talks about having good taste. <laughs> And I use this all the time with, uh, I had a teacher, a uh, trainee teacher last year. And when she would finish a lesson, she would go, oh, that didn't work. And, that's it. and I was like, brilliant. You have good taste. If you come out of a lesson and you go, well, that was perfect. I'm the greatest teacher there ever was. <laughs> you're done, right? <laughs> so he talks about when you're, you know, do, doing especially creative work, when you begin it, you really know that what you're making isn't that good. You know it's a bit of a disappointment to you. But the fact that you have good taste, the fact that the thing that got you into doing that is still there, that's important. Because mm-hmm. you know you know what you want to get to. You just know you're not there yet. Yeah. So that's a little tangent on having good taste. And I think so, having good taste is massively important. What you're saying is pretty much anytime we fall below our desired standards we say wow I have if I have nothing else I have good taste yeah at least I know that was terrible (laughs) okay I like it because we all know people who don't know they're terrible at stuff and probably some people would go he's probably one of them the guy talking right now the armchair psychologist (laughs) I want to go off on another tangent and link this to improv because uh, what listeners may not know about improv is that um, it, because it's something where you're doing, taking a lot of risks and things could fall on their face and be a disaster. One of the things as a good improviser, you need to learn to uh, fail gracefully, to embrace failure, mm-hmm. to almost, if possible, celebrate it. And so this to me is the non-improv response to perceived failure. Like, Absolutely. Oh, at least I have good taste. And the other part I like about it is uh, the lightness that it implies. Be- you know, I, can all- I could almost see like if I, and one of the things that gets me is 
whenever I get a, um, a like similar to your, you being bad teacher, if I get a bad review from a client and it, it just guts me and I, it'll be interesting to see if I can just, you know, lightly say, well, at least I have good taste. I, you know, I know what I do want. <laughs> I know what I do like. Or maybe the reviewer has terrible taste. And it's fine. <laughs> There's a thought. <laughs> so, so I, I, I love this idea of, of having good taste because that's the thing, you know, so when you have this recurring negative thought, right? So let's play out the one I did. So I said, mm-hmm. um, I'm not a good enough teacher. Yeah. So, These are these six steps, right? So step number one is you write down your recurring negative thought. Okay. Nice and easy. Step number two is underneath that, you construct the best argument that you can that the negative recurring thought is false. It's wrong. So I started brainstorming, started writing down, well, I can't be a terrible teacher because, you know, I care about my students I'm interested in education and pedagogy. I listen to podcasts. I, I, I read articles. I, I, I study different things. And I, I'm always reflecting on what I'm doing and seeing, you know, are the kids engaged? Are they learning? So I create this whole argument for why I'm not a terrible teacher. Yeah, so you're finding proof to the, which then um, makes the, cre- you're creating cognitive dissonance against the negative recurring thought right it's a way to challenge it right so 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 that's one story i'm not a good teacher right Mm. i'm creating a second story or i am a great teacher just to see how that feels right Mm -hmm. so it allows you to dig deep and explore a much kinder side to yourself i think we're all a bit guilty of treating our nearest and dearest much nicer than we treat ourselves. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) So being able to say, well, what if you were really kind to yourself? What if you said, no, you know, I'm going to pick you up here. You are great because of this, this, and this. So that's number two. You write down everything that proves your negative recurring thought wrong. And what I like about it is we're only on step two people. So we're not stopping here. We're not going into denial or justification, right? We're, we're, simply uh, getting our brain to entertain another possibility and shifting it out of that black and white thinking. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. that, that ties quite strongly in with find a story that works for you, right? Because we're already starting to identify that like there is another way for us to tell the story of what's happening right now. But you're right. You don't want to live in denial. So number three then is a really interesting one. And I love this question because this question is, you answer this, how has this negative recurring thought actually helped me get better? Mm -hmm. So this allowed me to say, do you know what? The fact that over the years, I have this thought that keeps popping up saying, you're not good enough, you're not good enough at teaching. This has helped me improve incredibly in my teaching. Because I've never rested on my laurels and said, oh, you've completed teaching. You're the perfect teacher. I'm always trying to strive to get better. So it's been super helpful for me to help me improve. So in a weird way, I can't be totally mad at this negative recurring thought. Proved itself to be very useful. So that's number three. You answer that question. Mm -hmm. How has this thought actually helped me get better? And when I listen to you, what I'm hearing is that's generating energy um, because 
I think for many of us, when we have that positive feedback, and that's what that's providing, Mm -hmm. it it motivates us to do more of that. Absolutely. Because nothing, there's a great, great, great quote I heard once, which is nothing motivates like progress. So if you just feel like you're starting to go in the right direction, as you say, you get energized, you get motivated. If I come home and go, oh, I'm not a good teacher, it's like I'm back to square one. I'm not progressing. In fact, I'm probably going backwards and getting worse. Completely energy sapping. Yeah. So then we go on to number four, which is what Tony Robbins called changing the channel. Mm-hmm. So just rephrase the thought. So the thought at the moment is, I'm not a good teacher. What if I just rephrase that thought to, I want to be a better teacher. Uh-huh. So just rephrasing the thought, which is true, I do want to be a better teacher. And that sounds much more manageable and do- doable and achievable than the same thing, essentially, which is, I'm not good. <laughs> so uh-huh. turning that around, I want to be a better teacher. Okay. Then, as you, as you well said, we don't want to be living in denial. So number five then is answering the question, how can I get better? This is when you dig deep into some concrete steps. And this is where you see that growth mindset come in. This idea that I know I can improve. I know I can get better. I'm not stuck with, you know, in a genetic prison where I'm, this is all I've got. This is the hand I was dealt and so I hear that a lot when, you know, when I listen to your podcast of people who, you know, used to have a lot of problems being in predator or prey mode and have managed to train themselves out of that to the point that it's become more natural to them. Yes. So asking yourself, how can I get better? And making some concrete steps, really reflecting on what is it that I would actually like to improve at is a huge thing. Mm hmm. And then the sixth step is... So so let's back up. I'm curious, what kind of things did you come up for yourself with that around your thought? So depending, I mean, for for me, I might have an idea of, well, I think actually that I have a tendency to zoom out a lot. Mm -hmm. I feel like we have a chance to zoom in and zooming in is super important because it helps us get the little day-to-day and the little details done. So in teaching... The zoom in is, you know, the lesson plans and the daily plans and making sure everything, the resources are ready and stuff like that. But you have to sometimes zoom out to ask yourself, well, why am I teaching this? Why do we bother going to school in the first place? Like if you zoom out really far, what's the point of being on the planet? Like, you know, you can go really far back. (laughs) It's pretty scary. Uh, I wouldn't live there for too long. (laughs) But uh, it's important to zoom out and to zoom in. But if I think what I tended to do was whenever I was having these recurring negative thoughts, I would zoom out far mm. and I would start asking myself, you know, you know, what's the real purpose of education? And, and you know, do, is me being a teacher is the story right now. Is that the story I want to have forever? Maybe I want to try a different career. And suddenly I was thinking, no, no, no. What you need right now are your zoom in concrete next steps Mm -hmm. so let's make sure this next poetry writing unit is well planned well resourced and it's going to be a lot of fun to do let's make sure that your next project that the kids are going to work on you have the resources that you need 
um, you're listening to their feedback and you're, you're moving forward from that. So for me, my next step was a zoom in step. I needed to make sure I had the details, the nuts and bolts of what I needed to do in the classroom because I'm a bit of a dreamer. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Makes sense. Yeah. So, so then finally then our, um, our last step is just doing all these steps one to five. Don't make the recurring negative thoughts disappear forever. And a lot of like what you do with the predator prey partner is that it's starting to work on that sort of muscle memory almost when this stuff happens and it will happen. Right. Do you have the tools to quickly form those habits and get used to acting and speaking and behaving in that certain way. So when those negative recurring thoughts come up again, just quickly in your mind, remember, oh yeah. So for me, when that thought comes into my head, I go, oh yeah, that's that thought that makes me a better teacher. Instead of the first thing being like, oh yeah, I'm not good. It's like, oh yeah, that's that thought again that makes me a better teacher. Oh my gosh. The, the the instant positive motivation, like, isn't that awesome? I just thought of that kind of feeling. Yeah, I've got that. Oh, that thing that goes off again that makes me better at this thing. Awesome. That's going to help me. Then I change the channel. I want to be a better teacher. That's right. I remembered. Yeah, mm. I do. I want to be better. And then I go back to my, my how am I going to get better list. And I go, right, am I, am I hitting everything there? Have I missed something? Do I need to make a new list? Or do I need to go back, double back and, and work on something that I identified earlier. Mm-hmm. So I think that that can be helpful just as a thing in itself to, to practice. I would recommend everybody try that out with one of your recurring negative thoughts. So um, let's play with what, let's play with it just for a minute or two. Um, sure. All right. So I'll let, let me throw out to you. Um, uh, one of my most recurring negative thoughts is I'm a selfish person. And I used to feel, oh, yeah, very ashamed of it. And, you know, and the first time I was, you know, accused of it. Oh, ouch. Yeah, it was pretty bad. So, Amy, tell me how you're not a selfish person. Okay. Um, I, I, I'm very happy to listen to people, um, you know, friends and family and um, offer support and sometimes I have to remember to ask if they want to be coached or not. Um, <laughs> you know, so I offer my time, I offer my listening. I, um, when I am on trips, when I, I would buy gifts for, for people just spontaneously. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I, uh, I have a story. I, tell me. <laughs> um, one time my, my lovely wife had ordered a wedding cake that, um, was made by a baker in, in the town where you live. And we live, you know, I don't know how far that is, but 20 minutes on a train yeah. away from there. And it was right before a show. You were coming to Lausanne for a show, which you were performing in. And I, my wife said, don't, don't ask her. She, she, she's got too much to, to handle. She's, and, and she's taking the train. She's not taking her car. It's going to be too complicated. And I was like, look, I'll ask her. And she can always say no. And you didn't say no. And you picked up that cake and you took it on the train carefully and you brought it all the way to Lausanne. That is not the deed of a selfish person. You know, and it's interesting. Thank you for reminding me of that story. And what was cool was I was 
delighted to help you guys out because I knew you were in the middle of moving and it was going to be so stressful and I couldn't help you move. So, I mean, that was just like the smallest gift I could give. Um, so, and I'm really good also like you, cause you know me well of saying no, if I have to, okay, we're starting to run out on time. Um, so, um, number three, how has this helped me to be better? It, it's helped me to, um, pay attention to being more generous to people with people and not always putting myself first. Right. Right. Absolutely. And, yeah. And I want to be better at, um, you know, uh, supporting people. Yeah. And, 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 and you know, you, you dedicate your entire life to, helping other people with their problems. So yes. that's not the action of a really <laughs> selfish person, if you ask me. Well, and what's interesting is, um, number five, how can I get better, mm-hmm. is making sure that I'm still being concrete. Oh, not concrete. Uh, I'm setting boundaries. So I'm not uh, overdoing it and becoming resentful. Right. Okay, so we're going to pause that there because we're just about out of time now. And I want to move to call for action. Your call for action is... I would love it if your audience would have a go at those six steps of the recurring negative thoughts. I think it would be super helpful for them. Okay, great. And my call for action is to ask if you listeners want to get those six steps to email me and I will send them to you. Also, email me your communication conundrums, clashes, challenges, mishaps, blunders, and your successes, and I'll be talking about them on future shows and making suggestions. My email is amy at carolcoaching.com. That's two R's, two L's. And be sure to tune in next week. We're going to be discussing how to stay partner with family and loved ones during the holidays. Feel free to connect with me on my social media channels, Amy Carol Coaching or my website, carolcoaching.com. Christy, thank you. It has just been an absolute delight to have you on the show. It's a pleasure every time, Amy. Thank you so much. Uh, Great. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. You've been listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll on the Voice America Business Channel. Happy partnering, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Join Amy for another edition next Friday at 7 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until we speak again, make it a great week. And remember, make your partner look good.